listeners to the next instalment of Supercoach Mates. We're almost finished um, the pre-season teams, but we've got a few left, and um, today is going to be the Western Bulldogs, so uh, the runners-up in the Premiership uh, race last year. And uh, today we're joined by Jonas. Unfortunately, Nathan's, I don't think, he might pop in later on, but we'll see how we go. I think we're recording early in the morning, so um, we'll see if he pops in. But how are you, Jonas? Yeah, all right. Looking forward to watching some pre-season matches later on today and next week. So, yeah, it's good. Exciting. Yeah, I think um, the first one is next week, next Wednesday, I believe, with Essendon kicking things off. And then myself and Jonas will be at the St Kilda Carlton game um, to see them live. So it'll be good to see the St Kilda boys up up close and personal um, in the St Kilda pre-season game. And we'll have some insight on, on that. Um, when we do our review of all the the um, the preseason games prior to the JLT run up, but obviously today we've got the Western Bulldogs, which is a pretty super coach relevant team. Um, with you've got the likes of Bont and Pelly McRae, but we'll start off in the defence just to kick things off straight away. So there's two names that stand out um, on the defensive line. That's Caleb Daniel and Bailey Dale. So basically shared the half-back line last year and did quite well. Probably impacted their super coach scoring a little bit just because the ball was flipped around the two of them. But we'll start off with Caleb Daniel, um, Jonas. So he was slightly disappointing compared to his, you know, loftier standards of, of previous years where he got his All-Australian jumper and things like that. I think he got an Australian jumper, didn't he? Um, um, I think so. Yeah, previous years. Not 100% sure, but... Um, do you reckon he obviously was a bit disappointing last year and I think that had something to do with Bailey Dale taking a lot of kickouts and they preferred him to kick the ball deep into their midfield. But do you reckon he's a viable option at all? I think he's early 500k, so he's a bit cheaper than the rest of the kind of top six that we've been speaking about early on. Um, or do you reckon he's, yeah, as I said, an intention to become a six to, top six to ten defender or do you think he's just a clear avoid with what he showed up last year? Yeah, last year has me a bit concerned. He obviously had the capability to go big, scoring 145 against Melbourne in round 19. And then in the grand final, I think he was on like 25 touches at halftime. So when he gets the ball without much attention, he can certainly be a damaging type of defender and a good scorer. But he's a bit prone to a tag and his floor is pretty low compared to some other defenders. He scored multiple times in the 60s last year. So for me, he's, he's an easy avoid. I don't see him making top six just because of his floor. And he's, yeah, one of those players that can get tagged out of games. And with Bailey Dale emerging and there being other Western Bulldogs defenders that they could, um, they could dispose of the ball out of the back half, he's probably one that maybe rises in average a bit because he only averaged 94 this year last year so i could see maybe nudging the 100 mark but um at 511k i think you don't need to pay too much more to get some players who are a fair bit safer do you see daniel as a viable pick or are you more interested in some of the players around his price range yeah i think i'll be avoiding him to start off with the issue with him i have is is I've kind of gone away from from feeding the ball a little bit. So in previous years, so not last year, but the year before, basically the whole dog's defense was reliant upon him. So giving the ball one twos, because he's such an accurate kick, he's a really effective ball user. Um, but as I said, the issue was was that Bailey Dale came into the frame, um, 
as of late. So it made it really difficult for Daniel because he's obviously small in stature. So it made it hard for him to get any contested footy. He's obviously such an uncontested player. Um, and it definitely seemed like the dogs were more happy to give the ball into Dale's hands a fair bit. And it seemed that the kickouts were given to Dale a bit more um, compared to Daniel. Because Daniel doesn't really have a you know a hefty boot on him. The whole reason why they select him to play in that halfback role um, is to kick those short 45s and really hit targets. And the other thing is I think that at times he even got chucked into the midfield. And just with his height, he doesn't really do too well there. So he didn't really have a clear-cut role in pre- compared to previous years. So that's why I think I'll be sticking away from him a little bit. But um, he's someone that, you know, could well be an upgrade target later on. If you may be looking for a cheaper cheaper defender, I, I think he's one that if he doesn't start well, I think he'll he'll go down pretty quickly to your 450s. And then you could have that conversation again, um, whether you want him or not. But we'll move on to the other guy in that half-back line. That's Bailey Dale. So he was forward eligible last year, and that's why... I think, I don't know if you selected him in your team last year, but he was one that if you picked him at the right point, he went gangbusters pretty much. He did slow down a little bit towards the end of last year, but he was one that was scoring you kind of 100 to 110 pretty consistently down that back half. Um, And it was quite impressive with his transition in the back line. Do you reckon that he'll continue his good form from last year or do you reckon it's, you know, just a one-trick pony where he's done it for one year and he'll pretty much stagnate? Um, into say the eighties to nineties into this year. I, I like Bailey Dale as an option. I picked him up at his most expensive price after his buy sale was a bit frustrating because he then scored a fifty. However, I believe you'll find him at a cheaper price throughout the year because he has the ability to score yep. in the seventies quite frequently. And so for that reason alone, I'd rather pick him as an upgrade target down the line when he's thrown in an ordinary game and that stays in his price cycle for a few weeks and he drops, say, 40K. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, he does look damaging um, off the halfback line and if he does continue his scoring, he's a decent option. The issue is, is if he was in the forward line, you could make an argument sake um to pick him but then you've got Dunkley and Dale in the same line so you've got to take into consideration this whole COVID stuff if a team gets impacted by COVID then all of a sudden you've got multiple players on each line so Dale's one that I think just because we've as we've spoken about in previous podcasts we've got Ridley, Short, Whitfield, Hall, Crisp at six five six names and Lloyd as well so you've got five six names already ahead of Bailey Dale in, in regards to averages I think just because he's defender this year just makes him a little bit hard to pick um, but we'll move on to the last name on this sheet uh, for the defenders, and that's Sam Darcy. So I don't think he played. Oh, he either got. Did he get selected this year or last year? He's one uh, of the recent draftees. Recent, recent draftees, yeah, because he graduated, I think, last last year. I'm pretty sure 2021. Yeah. Um, so he's were he's obviously defensive forward. He's his price at 202, which is an elevated price because of his higher draft pick. Um, do you reckon he's a shout if we're starved of opportunities? I don't think it's been mentioned much in the pool of rookies because he's a 202K. So you've got to take into consideration that someone like Keeman Coleman is only 60K more. But he's obviously, you know, very talented junior. Um, score goals for fun up in the forward line. Do you reckon there's a spot for him in that dog's 22? And if so, do you reckon he's, he's half worth a shout if, if we're starved of defender rookies or even forward rookies? 
I don't think he's got a spot, to be honest. There's so many options up there with Jamara, Bruce potentially coming back at some stage and Norton that if you only cast your eyes back 12 months ago, I look at Jamara, who's probably similar in terms of ability and the and scoring compared to Darcy. And Jamara averaged 47 and didn't debut until round 17. So that doesn't fill me with too much optimism about Darcy and the fact that he's north of 200K. The, the DPP eligibility certainly is good, but... I'm not sure he um, plays too early. And even if he does, being a first-year key forward player, his scoring is going to be pretty pretty poor, to be honest. But, look, he may prove me wrong. He might he might come out in round one and kick, kick a bag of four goals and then elevate his job security and then maybe potentially someone you bring in in round three. But for me, he's probably not one I've considered at the moment. Is he someone you've looked at? Not really. I mean... We've got our, I think, you know, we'll explain our rookies later on, um, much closer to, to round one. But the issue at Sandars is a key position player. Um, obviously, Josh Bruce has done his ACL late last year, so he's basically out all this season, to be fair. But you've got uh, Eagle Hagen, who's ahead of him, you'd assume, in the pecking order. However, Eagle Hagen didn't look too impressive when he's, I think he debuted against Sydney or he played one of his first couple games against Sydney last year. So he just didn't look too impressive. Um, but I'm assuming he's ahead of, ahead of him in the pecking order. He's, if not, he's got a fair bit of competition with Norton. You know, if Shaki wasn't in the team, maybe that opens up another spot, but Shaki's playing key defence now, so makes it a little bit tricky with all the tours they've got in that dog's lineup. so it, it probably makes him a little bit difficult to select. But who knows? It, it's one of those ones that maybe if he plays both JLT games, you could, you could say something different, but I don't think he's too relevant this year. Definitely for future years, he'd be one that you'd be looking close on um as, as an option maybe later on down the track but we'll move on to the midfield now so obviously the midfield is pretty stacked with options they're pretty much one of the best midfields in the comp super coach wise so we'll just run off a few names so mccray is he i think is it did you say you got rid of him in your side um but if so why and if not do you reckon he's a fair chance to be a lock um regardless in most people's sides the only reason he's out of my side is because he's 700,000 and I can't afford to pick him alongside all these other star premiums that I've got on my side. But there's nothing wrong with the pick itself. He's got pretty good durability, great scoring and the like. But for me, he's probably one that, similar to Jake Lloyd, you can, I don't think you'll absolutely kill you if you don't start with him because you'll be able to get him at some stage at a cheaper price. I don't even think he reached 700K last year and we saw how good he was last year. So if he slightly diminishes in average, you'll be able to get him at around 630K at some point. But if I'm able to find a bit of extra cash somehow, I'll look to upgrade, say, another midfielder that I've got on my side to get him. But for the time being... I'm not too uncomfortable not having him. See, someone that's just been in your side since day one? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've toyed with the idea of maybe saving an extra 20K to go someone like Miller or something. But the, the good thing about McRae is that he doesn't really get tagged. Um, he's one that just gets the ball. He's, he doesn't seem to cause too much grief to opposition uh, midfielders with regards to tagging. So if you look at... You know, still can get a potential tag, and we've spoken about still in previous in the previous podcast with Saints TV. But 
Um, Miller and Oliver, the one two closest to his price point. Miller, we don't know yet whether more attention will be given to him. He's obviously an endurance beast, so you know, you'd hope that he doesn't get tagged. But Oliver's another option. So he's the one that moved out of my side of late. Um just because of, of trying to fit in only four primos. So whether or not he comes in for, for McRae for 20K less is, is yet to be seen. But Clary is a bit susceptible to a tag. It has been shown before, and he doesn't score too well when that happens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why 700K, but I think you brought up a good point is that there's only so much scoring you can do to get it high. You'd have, have to average like 130, 140 pretty quickly to bump up his score to 750. So I don't think you're losing much out of him. It's just whether you think that um, the, the the point differences between him and, say, the next best, which is Miller, after Steele is is um, worthy of, of, a, of a 20K price difference to kind of um, resend back into your team to, to upgrade, say, I don't know, maybe a, a Driscoll to a, you know, a Brody Camp or something, for example, if, if that comes push comes to sub with rookie. So... Yeah, it really depends on on whether you if you need the money, but I think if you pick McRae, you're not nothing's going to go wrong. I think um, he does play Melbourne first up, and he scores pretty well against them against the pretty Premiership side. So I don't think there's too much worry with McRae. Um, but the next one on this list is is someone that obviously you're a big fan of, uh, Jonas. Is that it's Bond and Pelly. Um, pretty much championed out as uh, golden child, which is pretty frustrating because I haven't had him in the last couple of years. He seems to go on these tears where he scores averages like 140 and then goes real quiet towards the back end of the year or, or some parts of the year. So I think it was rumoured that Bont, because of the, the structure of the midfield, said he was pretty happy to play more stints up forward. Does that worry you a little bit? Or do you think, obviously, there's enjoyment factor of watching him play, but do you reckon that that statement in itself is a bit concerning or do you reckon that you're just going to disregard that fact and he, he's a pretty good uh, point of difference in that side considering everyone's gone clary steel and, and mccray and took that sort of route yeah i like the fact that he's a bit more of a pod for a start the the idea of him playing a bit more full time is a bit concerning but then again if he maintains a 115 average and plays enough full time that he becomes forward eligible in round six, then I think I'm winning out with the pick because I can just swing him up forward and open up another midfield spot. And it's not easy to get in a forward at 600 something K in round six. So there's that silver lining in that he might score a bit less if he's playing forward, but he does get points of will and he does a lot of things, a lot of contested things. He kicks goals. So his ceiling's certainly there. And I believe last year when he received that, he, he received a shoulder injury in, I think, round 15 or 16 against the Eagles. And from that point on, I, I was watching him quite closely because he was in my side. I noticed this, like a significant drop in his scoring. And looking at him this preseason, he's got no strapping on his shoulder. So that's obviously a great start. But, yeah, I'll have a look at the preseason games. And if he's... Playing predominantly midfield, he was probably someone I'm going to start with. But, yeah, if I see him, say, situated up forward for the large stints of the game, I'll try and find an extra thirty or 40000 to bring him up to McRae. But the good thing about Bontempelli is, as well as McRae, is they play a lot of early games and they've got a pretty decent fixture. So he could become like a unique vice-captain option for me 
early on. And if he, if he goes on a, a tear, which he did last year th throughout the halfway point of the year, I think he averaged around 135 for, for a good like seven to eight weeks. So if he can recapture that form at the start of the year and I can jump on some of those vice captains score, he's going to be a very um, handy option to have. See someone that you've given much consideration to? Um, not really. Uh, I think uh, I've, I've had pretty much my four to five midfielders set and, uh, you know, Lockie Neal and, and Titch being the last couple that I've, I've taken into consideration. But, I mean, the main issue with, with him is is that um, you've got... So you look at their midfield structure at the moment. You've got Liberatore in there. So when he plays, he's not playing forward. He, you need him in that midfield or the dogs want him in that midfield 100%. So he doesn't play much time forward. He's either off the field or on the midfield. Then you've got McRae who pretty much doesn't... He might move to a wing occasionally, but doesn't really do much outside the mids and you got Dunkley and Dunkley and Bont I think are the ones that are going to rotate through that midfield um I don't know with Trelaw yeah Trelaw as well I think Trelaw they'll probably push him out to more of a wing it seems like um but also can go through the middle we've got Bailey Smith who goes through the middle and then you've got Dunkley um as well and I think Dunkley didn't score too well as a forward Obviously, they do like the tackle pressure he provides in that in that forward fifty. But he's you know anywhere he anywhere he plays, and I think they need that tackle pressure in the midfield at times. Um, and Bont isn't a bad forward as well. Obviously, he's you know over one ninety, so he's a he, he could, you know if he was a key forward, he'd be fine in that height. So um, he's one of those players that causes a lot of problems anywhere he plays. But he's probably not a bad potential point of difference anyway, just because he scores for fun. Like he you know you don't really see it on the field, but I think with the amount of contested possession he gets and, and the amount of important plays he he puts his hands on the ball during those chains, um, really sets his up he sets his scoring quite low. So it'll be interesting to see um, what the mix is with the dogs midfield. And I guess we'll find out when we hear um, the first JLT games or the first preseason games what that midfield structure will be. But um, we'll move on to two other names that probably aren't that super coach relevant with regards to Classy, maybe draft or even later on upgrades. And those are Bailey Smith and Tom Libertore. So we obviously just touched on those. Bailey Smith moved to kind of like a high half forward wing role, looked pretty damaging for the dogs. And then you've got Libba, who, who's, who's pretty important for their side. He's pretty much like the glue to their midfield. He's so important for them to dig the ball out to the guys like McRae and Bond. Do you reckon any of those... Are, any viable option. I think out of the two, Libba was the one that averaged over a hundred. Um, but if you want to go so far out crazy potential point of difference, uh, as any of those two ring a bell, or do you think they're more kind of draft standard worthy? Libertore at his price, 560 K is completely irrelevant for me. Averaged the one Oh three. So he didn't have a bad year and he's somewhat durable, but he as well got tagged at stages last year by harms, for example, so for one, for, for that regard, I think he's a, a harder void. Plus, given the fact that Lockie Neal, you can find it at a cheaper price and you only need to go 50 or so thousand more to get a, a role goal-proven scorer, I think Libertore is a bit touch and go with his consistency. And then Bailey Smith is, you could go worse than Bailey Smith because he's only 472k and you're banking on, on a bit of natural progression. However, he only averaged 87 last year and had some low games. Like he scored a 38 against Carlton in 102 minutes. So, yeah, his floor is a bit low.
but I, I, I back him to improve his average by at least five points. So he's one that will make you some money, but I'm not sure he's a potential keeper, but probably also an avoid for me. Yeah. Both could be pretty good draft options, but with how many midfielders the dogs have ahead of these two, they're, they're two players that could easily suffer from the amount of players that rotate through the midfield. Yeah, no, I think yeah, you hit the nail on the head there with regards to to the options that are already there presenting itself with regards to the the top echelon of midfielders. And I think when you go down, there's, there's not much value there. Maybe if there were, like Bailey Smith, you know, could well be a DPP swing later on with the mid forward if he plays a lot of time high half forward. So then you'd be talking a different story there. But the issue is, is that, again, if we, we look at, you know, something that, you know, might happen, may not be this COVID stuff. If you pick a lot of dogs players and the dogs have a COVID outbreak, touch with they don't. But um, if they do, then then you're in trouble then because I don't exactly know what will happen if, um, you know, if they're going to, if Supercoach does like the averages or, or something like that. So we don't exactly know what is there. So I would rather spread out my assets to different teams rather than trying to clump you know, have like one on each line dogs players. Obviously, they're quite super coach friendly scorers, but they're probably something that are more draft relevant than, than super coach, uh, yeah, super coach classic relevant. But we'll move on to the rocks now. Um, there's not many options. You've got Steph Martin, who's about 50, so it doesn't really matter about him, I don't think. I don't think many people are um, going to pick him this year, but. Tim English is an interesting one. He's, he's someone that the dogs have a lot of faith in to develop into a really kind of Brody Grundy type ruckman where he can ruck around the ground and play as an extra midfielder. Um, he's obviously got DPP status this year, and this is why some people have kind of tempted the idea. And the reason I think being is if you have Proust at R2 and Chuck English up forward, if Proust goes down, you've got a fling, uh, a, a flick into the forward uh, ruck with English. And then... Proust, you can trade out Proust. And the other option is, say you've got Marshall as a bit of a differential, for example, is Ruck only, and you're hoping that he gets forward status, then you've got that swing between Marshall and English if something goes pear-shaped. Um, he's a bit cheaper than the rest of the Rucks, which is obviously advantageous, but do you reckon that that's kind of too much crazy thinking, or do you reckon there's some sort of um, viable option there in picking English, Jonas? The, the DPP eligibility makes him somewhat relevant, but the fact he's behind Stefan Martin, so he's not even really the first choice Ruckman at his club, makes me very concerned because it can push him up forward. So I think he's one that only becomes relevant if Steph Martin gets injured in the preseason or early stages of the year and he's out for a while, and then he can go back into the midfield and start getting some more points from rocking rather than playing full forward. But at the moment, he's going to be spending a fair bit of time up forward, I'd assume. So for me, he's a bit of an avoid. He's got the ability to throw in the odd 50 or 60 as well. So his price is going to dip at stages. So one that I'm not afraid about not starting. But is he someone you've taken into consideration? Not really. I don't I don't think I'm going to be that brave enough to, to start someone like him. He doesn't seem... You know, I know he's developing his stuff and I don't see a real score increase, especially with Steph Martin and team. I think Steph Martin was brought in to kind of negate those bigger Ruckman and, and push English a bit forward because I think English still gets bullied around 
um, against those premier ruckmen. So he looks a lot more yeah. dangerous up forward with Steph Martin rucking. Obviously, if Steph Martin wasn't there, you'd have a different argument to be made because he's known um, English to score. He's he's done 150s before when he's when he solo rocked and dominated in the air. But I think Steph Martin's bring brought in to help English out a little bit. And when Steph Martin retires fully, then you'd have a different story in your hands. But I think he's one that, you know, if you... Even in draft, it'd be, it'd be pretty hard to press to pick. Maybe if you want a forward line, it'd be not a bad option, but he's probably someone that's a much more draft-relevant player than a than a classic player. But we'll move on to the forward line, guys. There's not too many out there. I think the dogs, you've pretty much you've got to pick him or you, you just avoid them. So the next one is Josh Dunkley, who's pretty much most people's F1. Um, he, he's one that you know, just scores for fun with his tackles. He pretty much scores well regardless of, of how he plays. However, when he did his shoulder, he did, he did quite a bad shoulder injury last year. And then when he came back, he was kind of just pushed at the half forward line, whether that was because the dogs were trying to protect him um, before a grand final or before a final series or something like that is kind of yet to be yet seen. But um, when he when he came back, he just really didn't look the same. It was kind of getting an odd 60 to 80 and then an odd 100 here and there. So it wasn't really never consistent scoring. But you just have to look back at his first couple rounds where he, he flew out the blocks and was averaging 130 in the first four rounds. So is he someone that hasn't left your side yet? Or, or are you a little bit concerned that, you know, even though he's probably had a full, full preseason now and hopefully doesn't get injured from now until round one, is there a little bit of a concern that, he could be end up in that same role as a high half forward. I'm not too concerned because he's come off injury as well in previous years and then shown the ability to back it up, especially at the start of the year with high scores, as you're saying, like he scored 132, 132, 148 and 132 in four of the last, in, in four of the first six rounds this year. And the other scores he scored aren't to be scoffed at. So for me, he's one of the only players who hasn't left my side, especially in a forward line that's doesn't have too many like solid bulletproof options up there. So he's one that he does sustain an injury and he's prone to those hard hit injuries, but it's not like a soft tissue injury where they can occur at any time. It's more of those contact injuries. So he's one that... I'm willing to take the gamble on and he's in such a high ownership team in, in so many teams. So even if he goes down, your season's not by any means over because so many other people will suffer. But if you decide to go against him and he does anything near to what he did last year at the start of the year, you're going to be way behind the eight ball. So he's one of those players that the dogs will definitely spend a bit of time with in the midfield. He doesn't even need to spend full mid minutes. If he plays like 40% of time in the midfield, he should average easily over hundred. So that's literally all you need. So he's one that is a pretty easy lock for me. Is he someone that hasn't moved your side either? Yeah. He's pretty much had that F1 spot since day one. Obviously there is some sort of, you know, you could argue that you could save yourself a hundred K um, with the intention of bringing him in later. But I think because he's in a similar situation, obviously not the same player, the same scoring player as Dacos. But if you look at someone like Dacos or Juan Francis, they're so popularly picked that you just want to go with the pack to start off with because if they get injured, um, then everyone's, well, I wouldn't say everyone, but over 70% of super coaches are in the same same boat where they have to trade him out anyway. So you're not really losing out on much. And I think with these additional trades, you, you can be a little bit generous with those injury 
injury-prone players from last year. Um, but I can see players, definitely super coaches out there, who maybe want to start their forward line without um, Dunkley and then go, say, Heaney or, or Butters as a F1 and just go Butters to Goey and Heaney or something as one, two, three, and you've saved yourself 100-odd-K to deploy elsewhere. So it's definitely not the worst thing in the world, especially... If you look at someone like Dugowie, if he if he maintains that mid role, um, then that's something to to definitely be a, a bit heavier debate. But I think if you can satisfy your structure and have Dunkley in there, he's probably not a bad one to have. And I think he won a rebound and really helped the Dogs try and get another premiership for sure. Because I think without him in that side, it definitely Dogs definitely got found out at times in that midfield. They they lack a lot of his grunt and, and if Liberatore is off the is on the bench or not playing so well, I think Dunkley really complements the rest of the dogs midfield there. But um we're about to wrap it up. There's one more player that probably doesn't get the credit he deserves and got a lot of criticism last year for, for his form and, and definitely showed um the doubters wrong in, in the prelim and the grand final. That's Adam Trelaw. So he's priced a little bit higher than the rest of those kind of four fifty odd players um at four eighty eight K which is still lower than previous seasons where he's averaged over 100 pretty consistently. And that's obviously with him being fully fit and in the midfield. Um, with the, with the dog stack midfield, he, he got pushed out to a wing at times. He did play on the ball a few times, but he, he got rotated it fairly heavily like your Bailey Smiths. Um, but you just have to look at his, as I said, his, his prelim and grand final scores, which he got 123 and 122 respectively. So very impressive scores and pretty much topped the dog scoring. Do you reckon he's a viable differential option compared to the likes of Heaney, Butters, and Dugo and Thomas, or is he someone that you'd rather wait on and, and see if he how he goes in a new in a, in a dog setup, um, Jonas? Someone I would not go near at any point in the year. He's already struggling with injury. I think he's got some sort of calf concerns in the preseason alone. So if he can if he can't even make it through the preseason how's he meant to make it through yeah. 22 home and away games so or 21 or whatever it is but yeah for that reason alone he's one that i'm not going to start or possibly even have at any point in the year because his durability is too much of a concern for mine i think he's scoring as well like he's getting a bit older he's he's not at his full capabilities that he was at collingwood He's not that same sort of ball getter. He's been floated at like the forward flank and the wing a bit more. So he's not <clears throat> racking up 30, 35 touches as frequently. And with those games where he, he did well against, in, against Melbourne, for example, that was with, say, two goals as well. So it shows that he, he, he's playing a bit more forward time. And the fact he's forward eligible is a further indicator that he's been sort of moved into that forward line and, for me, I would rather be picking players who have slightly less durability concerns, have have had a good preseason, and are entering the the prime of their careers, not the twilight. So, for me, he's one that's an easy pass. Yeah, I think I'm a similar boat there. He's injury prone, and it takes someone special that can rip both their hamstrings at once. I remember that game where. You- I think he played for, it was at the time when he played for Collingwood and he's running down that wing and, and completely shot both his hammies. So he's pretty injury prone. Yeah. And there's just so many other dogs in that midfield that the points have to go around. And, and when you've got McRae and Bontepelli and, and Dunkley at their best, still scoring over 130 points, um, there's only so many points left over for the rest of the Bulldogs players. 
But um, just before we wrap it up, Jonas, do you have any any final comments about the dogs um, list, or you think they're pretty pretty set on the players that we've spoken about? I think um, they're in for a good year, and they'll definitely be pushing top two again. But yeah, you have to be cautious with how many players you pick because with the COVID outs, if they're a team that's heavily impacted by that, your team will be as well. They've got a few small rookies like Parker and McComb and maybe Arthur Jones to keep an eye out and they could do what Scott did and McNeil did last year and make you some nice cash. But otherwise, yeah, keep your eye out on some of their premiums in the preseason game and I wouldn't be picking too many, maybe two to three, but yeah, spread, spread, the distribution of players from each team you have pretty evenly. So if COVID does affect your team, it doesn't affect too many players who you select. Yeah, for sure. And those wise words um, going into to potentially another COVID interrupted season, but hopefully touch wood that um, we're, we're smooth sailing. I think they just announced that the AFL just announced that there's full capacity for round one crowds. That's always a good sign. And and definitely fans will be looking forward to it, I think, after missing out for two years. So I believe the first couple of rounds, I know, that I'm assuming both of us will be going at St Kilda Collingwood game Friday night, um, and that'll be a sellout. I'm assuming, and, and so will the Richmond um, and Carlton opener. So um, I guess we'll, we'll see when we hit round one. Yeah, definitely should be interesting. Yeah, for sure. But um, that's all we got time for today, um, and we're almost done these preseason uh, team podcasts. So we'll uh, be slowly releasing the last few that we've been recording over the last week or so. Uh, before the first sort of preseason game. So hopefully um, they'll be all out before the Wednesday kickoff, I think it is, with, with the first lot of preseason games. And then we'll do the reviews um, after that. So, uh, yeah, we'll catch you on to next time and look forward to the last two teams, which I think it's Hawthorne and, and Melbourne. So see you then.